Welcome to the Millennial Soul Food Podcast, Episode 8. I'm your host, Keon, aka Keonse, and today's show we are going to be speaking with Jason from Curious About Cannabis, about plant medicine, spirituality, and cannabis industry insights. Enjoy. Okay, so here's a little bit of information about Jason and Curious About Cannabis. So the Curious About Cannabis podcast critically explores essential questions and topics about cannabis and cannabinoids in an attempt to cut through the hype and hearsay to reach enduring understandings about the world's most controversial plant. Jason is a science educator, natural products researcher, and writer living in Oregon. He is the author of Curious About Cannabis, A Scientific Introduction to a Controversial Plant, CEO of Natural Learning Enterprises, a mission-driven company dedicated to enhancing public scientific literacy and critical thinking about the natural world, and he's also a private consultant that provides scientific and quality management consulting to cannabis companies, analytical laboratories, and dietary supplement manufacturers. Welcome, Jason, to the show. Welcome to the show, Jason. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much for um, coming on the show. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I actually know Jason. We're like longtime college friends. How long have I known you? I think since 2007. Uh, yeah, it's been... Dang. Uh, yeah, 2007 or 2008, yeah. Yeah, I'm... Based on our conversations in college, I'm not surprised that we're living in the midst of all this <laughs> stuff right now. Yeah, I think we predicted some of this. Yeah, right. <laughs> so then you, you're living in Oregon, um, yep. and what is it like out there right now with everything going on? Um, it's, I think, just like everywhere else, starting to relax a bit, mm-hmm. but it had been um, um, kind of intense. You know, we started the lockdowns and stay-at-home orders a little earlier than a lot of other states oh yeah in oregon we had one of the first 20 cases what um, that hit the country yeah because there was that case that came in in seattle washington and then we had one in oregon shortly oh Um, so things were really um kind of intense and a little maybe i don't know eerie in a Mm -hmm. way Um, and you live like out in the uh, country Again. You live like out in the country, right? Like it's um, pretty spacious. Well, no, I live in southern Oregon, so we're it's definitely um, less populated than like in northern Oregon, like Portland or oh, yeah. um, Eugene or something like that. Um, but you know, when the uh, stay-at-home orders happened, everyone took them pretty seriously, and things got really, really quiet and still mm-hmm. uh, for a while. But now people are kind of. Um, getting a little restless and i've noticed that there's you know more people out and about on the roads mm-hmm. and stuff it's kind of seeming more normal than it has in the past two months yeah so i definitely want to talk about um how this might have affected the cannabis industry you know all of the yeah. kind of like holdups and stuff like that 
Um, but yeah, can you tell us a little bit about what exactly you talk about on um, Curious About Cannabis? Yeah, so uh, Curious About Cannabis, the podcast, is um, basically me exploring um, a lot of scientific concepts around cannabis, but also um, kind of like sociological and psychological mm-hmm. um, issues too. And it's a spinoff from the Curious About Cannabis book, essentially. Yeah. Um, and it's split into kind of like two, it's almost like two podcasts in one because uh, every week you've got these um, long form conversations that I have with researchers mm-hmm. and doctors and cultivators and all sorts of people. Um, those come out every week, but then we have two seasons a year and during each season mm-hmm. there are these um, like topical episodes that come out where I'm sort of guiding people through the um, research and news and relevant conversations I've had with experts that sort of thing and kind of uh, packaging all of that together into uh, like one educational experience at a time dang that's really that's cool very comprehensive so yeah. then um and you also do consulting work. Um, what kind of consulting work do you do? What does that look like? Uh, so a lot of my professional background is uh, working in laboratories of different kinds. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, within those roles, I've helped like build labs and um, manage them, handle like all aspects. So it's something I know a lot about. And particularly in the cannabis industry, there are a lot of either um like testing labs starting mm-hmm. up to test cannabis products for potency and contaminants that sort of thing or there are product manufacturers that are building labor in-house analytical laboratories to mm. test their own products and hmm. see, make sure they're safe before they you know continue producing that product that sort of thing so Dang. um i do a lot of work around that kind of stuff just helping companies get their labs build help them mm-hmm. develop methods if they're wanting to do research help them think about how to uh define their research projects mm-hmm. how to improve the quality of their products or their processes and then i do a lot of scientific advisory stuff too just mm-hmm. like i sit on um like scientific advisory boards of different companies and mm-hmm. just kind of provide some input on relevant research uh, you know or concepts that mm-hmm. uh, need to be thought about depending on what products that company's developing or what sort of marketing materials they're trying to develop mm-hmm. you know different stuff around cannabis science and natural product science really broadly mm-hmm. so you basically know your shit <laughs> <laughs> for real <laughs> well i know I, I like to say um i know a little bit about a lot of things i know mm-hmm. a lot about a few things and uh but they're still uh, a lot I don't know as well. Yeah, well, I like, I think this is really cool because, you know, this is a very new market. Um, definitely, I want to talk get into talking about the um, different spiritual aspects of, like, experiencing cannabis consumption, all that kind of stuff. Um, totally. But, yeah, it is really cool that you're doing this work um, and also that you're kind of, you're doing it in, like, a professional way that is really, like, adding, like, scientific legitimacy to it um because you know a lot of people have like internalized stigma about the consumption of cannabis because there are so uh, many misconceptions about it um 
I want to talk to you. How do you, how do companies, do you feel, um, kind of try to break that down as far as like people's internalized stigma and what's been your experience with that? Well, having, you know, moved out here from Mississippi, as you can relate to having also escaped Mississippi. Um, (laughs) Moment of silence. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Mississippi is one of those places that um, breeds stigma on so many levels about so many different things. Um, One thing I discovered, and I'm wondering if you've discovered this too, but when I moved out here to Oregon in a very cannabis-friendly area, um, one thing that I've noticed is that people out here really don't have much of a clue of what it's really like living in a place that has, you know, severe prohibition. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, and it's not just the legal side too, but the cultural side that mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of people from where we grew up, it's not just that you're breaking the law if you interact with cannabis, but it's a, uh, a moral fault. You're a deviant. You know, yeah, yeah, you're a deviant, you're a heathen, you know, mm-hmm. there's all these these other aspects too, and something I noticed when I moved out here is, you know, even though when I first moved out here, I had my medical card for a while, um, I didn't stop having like a severe fear response whenever I would Ugh. consume cannabis in my apartment. PTSD. In my house for, I mean, years, it took years and years Damn. for that to like subside. Well, sh- I mean, you know, I'm black, so period. That's like fucking <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but yeah, I totally get that. I think the um, like the people don't really think about the like trauma that you go through. Because um, I mean, I um, lived. You well, you already know this, but for the listeners, I um, whenever I was in grad school at University of Michigan, you know, it's like legal there. So I, whenever I first got there, I like um, was smoking with this girl's parent who had, like, multiple sclerosis, and she was, like, 60-something. And I was just thinking, like, what? I'm, like, sitting here, like, smoking with this rich white woman. And she's just, like, have some more. But it was, like, you know, it wasn't a big deal to them. And, yeah, and I don't think she understood it. Because I kept, like, I was, like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm, like, doing this right now that I'm, like, living here. And they were, like, yeah, whatever. But I was still having those kinds of, um, those, like, memories, like, the traumatic memories. Because it's in your body, even, you know? And then, like, oh, yeah. um, yeah, and I've seen, like, even whenever, um, I was, like, have been, sometimes if I'm, like, if I've been consuming cannabis with someone, they're, like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm acting stupid. Oh, my, oh, no, oh, my God, what's going on? So, yeah, I think it's really important that, um, that kind of, like, stigma is, like, broken down. It's, like, kind of a barrier, I think, to actually enjoying the experience and, like, really benefiting from, um, the like mental health aspects, you know? Yeah. And I mean, there's a big debate around whether, you know, you know, paranoia is one of these side effects from THC. And there's a big debate over whether a lot of that paranoia stems from, um, obviously the legal prohibition. So fear of being caught and getting arrested or something like that. Yeah, but you know, and then also these cultural stigmas too. Mm-hmm. And if the, if they weren't in place, would people's minds, you know, because cannabis, um, one reason that it's, you know, potentially effective at treating PTSD is because it changes the way that the brain um, perceives threats 
Mm. And so if you, if you think about it, um, this whole paranoia response is really like a threat sensory response where mm. you're perceiving threats. Um, mm. Maybe you're hypersensitive to perceiving these threats more so than you would be, you know, in your normal state of quote unquote mm-hmm. normal state of consciousness. And, and so you get afraid and nervous and all these sort of things. But if you were in a culture where people just didn't care at all um, and you you never thought of like, how are people going to judge me if they see me doing mm-hmm. this or, you know, all the million different things that you could think, uh, would paranoia even be a problem? And it, it's interesting because um, I do notice that out here, it does seem to be less of an issue. People seem to be less paranoid yeah. uh, when they use cannabis than you know what I was used to in Mississippi. That makes total sense. Do you have any experience like working with co- different kinds of companies who might um, be into like medicinal marijuana as far as um, having it treat like mental health illnesses and stuff like that? Well, cannabis for mental health is a complicated and like touchy subject for a lot of people, uh, mm-hmm. particularly when you talk about THC rich cannabis cbd it's a different story um but a lot of doctors um are uncomfortable with the idea of uh trying to treat um mental health issues uh with cannabis um because there's still a you know a sense that the quote-unquote intoxicating aspect of cannabis could actually trigger mental health problems or, mm-hmm. or exacerbate them, but but it's it's complicated because the research shows you know that some people do benefit yeah. um, in all sorts of ways, and people react in very different ways to cannabis in general. So it's hard mm-hmm. to you know uh, kind of make a broad statement that um, cannabis is is either good or bad for, mm-hmm. for mental health. I think. Um, so a lot of people don't want, really want to talk about that side mm-hmm. too much. I think, yeah. Experience. Also, it's kind of like, um, there is a sociologist, I forgot what his name is. I'll look it up and put it in the show notes. But he was a sociologist in like the 1950s, and he did a study on how people learn to consume cannabis. And like, you know, some people will be like, I got paranoid the first time I consumed it because they were in like a weird environment. But a lot of there is kind of like a sociological aspect in the way that people like i mean it is def it definitely people have like individual types of like brain chemistry and stuff like that but also it's like um the environment that you're kind of socialized into about like with it and stuff so well yeah and like you know it's like with psychedelics set and setting is so important mm-hmm. for determining how you're going to response respond to that anything that affects perception and mm-hmm. consciousness you know in general it's going to be very sensitive to set and setting so someone that is maybe with a group of people they don't know very well in a very uh sort of like chaotic setting like a party mm-hmm. setting or somewhere or they maybe aren't so familiar with the place they're in and then they they use it and they have a really bad experience versus someone that you know in the comfort of their own home with some close mm-hmm. friends you know is going to have a very different experience even if the, the canvas itself is exactly the same and the dose is the same mm-hmm. um, that set and setting can go a long way yeah i feel like from like a spiritual aspect um like whenever people consume cannabis it 
like puts them more in their crown chakra. But I think, I guess, like, well, this is from my understanding. I've kind of read some stuff about this. But, like, cannabis and then, like, different types of psychoactive um, substances can, um, they, like, kind of trigger, like, a double or triple consciousness. And, like, I mean, part of the reason it can be good at helping, like, depression and stuff like that is because it triggers, like, this kind of multi-level reflection and, like, acceptance mm-hmm. of different stuff. But also, that can be scary as hell, you know. For a lot of people, they're, that's not, that it just isn't their way of processing trauma and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that touches on a couple of cool points. I mean, one is um, I've always thought of um, cannabis and psychedelics uh, to... Um, have this effect of getting you outside of the the patterns that mm-hmm. sort of establish the day to day, you know, you in quotes, mm-hmm. um, that you know you kind of embody um, a lot of times, sort of uh, subconsciously or unconsciously through your day to day. It kind of um, pulls you outside of those thought loops a little bit, um, so that you can see them or think outside of them. Um, and so, so definitely from that perspective, I could see that of like getting to this level of consciousness that is able to be a, um, an observer as well as mm-hmm. an active participant. Yeah. I mean, as far as like, you know, mental states. yeah. <clears throat> or I mean, um, I mean, I, you know, being with friends and you're like, Oh my God, like my mom used to do this or like, I grew up, oh, with, yeah. I grew up with this person. They used to do this and I do this too. Like dang you know that's kind of what my experience has been um i feel like a lot of people like um whenever i'm doing like readings and stuff like that sometimes we talk about like cannabis or whatever um and they like tell me about their experiences and stuff like that and just noticing different kinds of like um patterns that they've picked up yeah and you know another part to that too um the idea of cannabis being a like a a tool to either connect with ancestors mm-hmm. or to uh, as a tool for like the creative development of mm-hmm. the soul in a way uh, or however you want to conceptualize that um, that goes really far back and like um, I know that uh, I don't, I'm sure it probably still happens in some circles but in Hinduism they have a, an accepted use of cannabis in some of their um some of their worship towards Shiva and mm-hmm. Shiva's, you know, like one of these deities that's part of the, the process of deconstruction and construction mm-hmm. and sort of the, you know, the creative process of life itself. And Shiva's, you know, the destroyer, but not necessarily in like a purely destructive way, but like destructive for the, for the sake of creating, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. And so, um, when you think about cannabis being used for spiritual purposes, I mean, that's just one example of um kind of on a on a sort of different but parallel way that mm-hmm. other cultures have have looked at this the same way yeah this is on some cosmonaut shit but yeah. i mean they have um myths i think in this part of africa about the cannabis plant and how it comes from like a certain star so i mean if you want to get really octavia butler sci-fi <laughs> it could have come from it you know a meteorite could have hit earth and then, you know, the plant DNA could have been on the meteorite. You never know. Well, that's, uh, <laughs> there's some, there some theories like that about um, mushrooms, too. Oh, what? Really? 
Mm-hmm. Expound yeah. on that. Because a lot of uh, spores of different fungi can survive the heat of space, at least in certain conditions for certain periods of time. So mm-hmm. theoretically, the Earth could have uh, been inoculated. You know, Here, yeah. I mean, in the quarantine, one of the sh- t- kinds of shows that I like to keep on is like um, shows about space. So I will put on like the universe and it'll be on for like 12 episodes. And I'm just like doing stuff around the house and they're talking about like, you know, black holes and, you know, Einstein's theory of relativity. I'm just kind of nerd like that. But oh, yes. um, it kind of really puts things into perspective because it was like they do talk about how the Earth for like millions of years got like pulverized by like meteorite after meteorite and we're i think in like 24 hours we're like in the i think the last two seconds that's how long humanity's been on like the planet so i mean you never know what kinds of organisms came from from certain places but yeah with the myth it comes i don't like to say myth either but with their story or whatever um it's they the plant is here as a medicine for us and to help us get more at like um, more connected to um, higher states of like consciousness and interconnectedness and all that stuff. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There are a lot of religious traditions that have interpreted um, cannabis and other entheogens um, that same way, and you, you sort of have two major camps when you look at historically at how religions and spiritual practices have handled entheogens. You have those that view them as you know that there are tools that are provided to us to try to work with and explore and use Mm -hmm. to you know um uh, expand consciousness and and develop a deeper you know connection with the divine and things and then you have this other camp that's very like purist Mm. that thinks that you shouldn't use any tools you know Mm -hmm. other than what you have already within you you know so that these are the ones that are very much against experimentation with Mm -hmm. anything that's going to manipulate consciousness and and you have some religions that evolve like through these ideas at different periods of time they're not necessarily like always you know prohibitionist and purist Mm -hmm. um you know christianity is a good version of that you get all these splits where you know there's there are some that um you know there are uh christian groups in south america that you know, experiment still with ayahuasca and mm-hmm. other stuff, and then and then you've got Seven the, day the Southern Baptist fundamentalist in Mississippi that, um, even though they might smoke cannabis on the side um, and hide it, um, but vocally, you know, it's to their wrong. Dress, very, yeah, very wrong. Very against it. Yeah, for me, I think that kind of like oppressive Puritan thinking um, has its roots. Like, well, for me, I feel like religion in a lot of ways, whenever it became really oppressive, it sought to, like, cut people's connection to their own sense of divinity, you know? Um, and, you, like, to be like, oh, well, you need to go to a preacher or you have right. to go to a priest. Or, no, you you are a sinner. But this preacher over here, they, they, they got the word of God. So I do think, and even, like, especially with women and maybe, I think, the 1950s, you know, there was a lot of racist propaganda against um like like talking about like women you know having sex white women having sex with black men because it just kind of made them go crazy and they were just like you know obsessed with sex and then you know reefer madness all of that well and there's there's this huge um debate now in the cannabis industry about the word marijuana 
whether whether to abandon it or redefine it. Yeah, it's really weird because you know these debates come up again and again with words throughout our culture, um, where we have to decide: do you just try to use it in a unique way and redefine it and ignore the history, mm-hmm. or rewrite? You know, or do we just do away with it and? move on to something new and the term marijuana you know is so oh it makes me cringe when you even say it history (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's a term that it existed before it was used the way it was used in the united Mm -hmm. states but because of how so to provide some context i mean this goes back to like the 20s and 30s you know cannabis um prohibition I mean, it sort of started in the very early 1900s, but it really kicked in in the 1930s. And uh, the way that Henry Anslinger, who was um, behind the sort of what would later become the DEA, but it wasn't mm-hmm. called the DEA at the time, but the, the this Narcotics Bureau, um, mm-hmm. they basically started a propaganda campaign. They, instead of calling it cannabis, which... Keep in mind, cannabis as a medicine had been in the pharmacopoeia uh, for a long time, since the 1800s, all the way up until um, it was prohibited in the mm-hmm. 1930s. The hemp. The edition that came out in like 1942 took cannabis out. But doctors mm. used cannabis a lot. They called it cannabis. Like cannabis as a product, as a commodity, mm-hmm. was very much a part of the economy um, and sort of the everyday lexicon. And so Henry Anslinger brings in this term marijuana, this very foreign sounding <gasps> sort of term, and then talks about how it's linked to, you know, the the Mexicans mm-hmm. and the black jazz musicians in mm-hmm. New Orleans, you know, and all of you know, these it really tapping into the white culture's fear that they nurse but never want to like acknowledge them that high Santa's in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's, you know, you, just like today, you have all these people that don't want to acknowledge that they have, you know, racist tendencies and yeah. these sort of things. And so they won't acknowledge that that's why they hate cannabis, but they've got this narrative being spun around them that's playing to all of their prejudice, fears, mm-hmm. and everything. And so that's really why cannabis, why the prohibition started. Um, when cannabis was prohibited, doctors actually got upset about it because they didn't realize oh. that marijuana was cannabis. That oh, they were wow. Having their medicine taken away from, from what? them. Um, so there's a lot to that story. And so the debate now is well, you know, marijuana does go back beyond that history. And, you know, should we instead try to celebrate you know its connection to you know ancient cultures and everything that led to that word not Mm -hmm. how the united states took it over and redefined it um so it's yeah it's an interesting debate i personally prefer to just not use the word marijuana yeah yeah just talk about cannabis because that's what it that's what the plant is when i talk about echinacea i say echinacea Mm-hmm. I talk about cannabis, I talk about, you know, say cannabis. I, that makes total sense. And also, just, like, I think, like, well, this is, it's kind of, I guess, a, an abstract com- concept, but words have, like, cultural meaning that, like, exists in a certain time and place. And yes. you have to make things, like, appropriate appropriate to the times. 
Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And and words carry like you know an energy with them. Yeah. Depending on the person's background that hears it. Yeah. Um, Even in so, Spanish, um, like marijuana, saying that I like, I'm like, ugh, because it's mm-hmm. like you know, people are like fumas marijuana, and it's like you know, like are you smoke weed? I like hear it like that because people will be like, I fool my marijuana. No, it, it's like, you know, oh my God, that's so terrible. <laughs> so it has a very, it's like a negative connotation in uh, Spanish too. I mean, it's cannabis and the scientific word in Spanish, but yeah, that is so true. Wow. And yeah, it's interesting just like the different words people have for it. Um, and also like, even the words that people call cannabis sometimes, like, have its kind of, like, uh, it's, like, a negative kind of dirty connotation. Like, when I lived in Ecuador, they called it um, le sheet. Really? Uh, yeah, I don't know why they would say it, like, Spanish people. Or for French people, but, yeah, they'd be like, or, fuma uh, la sheet. And I'm like, uh. <laughs> or, you know, we out. But we, don't have, we ain't got to get into all that or whatever. <laughs> but, yeah. But, but didn't hemp... They used to use hemp for, like, paper and stuff, or um, it was used as a, a widespread product or something, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, cannabis, you know, one thing that makes it such a fascinating plant is it has, it expresses itself in many different ways, and because of that, it has many different uses. So, um, for the medical use of cannabis and the recreational use of cannabis we think about resin rich cannabis plants mm-hmm. and this goes for like plants used for the cbd industry and stuff too but um but then you also have plants that um have a different shape and structure to them and they're better for fiber they have a higher concentration of um these flexible types of fibers is that like indica or sativa or like well uh so the different names, sativa, indica, all of that sort of stuff for cannabis is really muddy. Oh, um, okay. The best research and agreement among scientists right now is that um, all of cannabis is one species, cannabis mm-hmm. sativa. And um, within that species, you've got several subspecies. Mm. Um and there may be hemp varieties within all of those subspecies, possibly. Mm. Um, so it's and hemp is the fiber it. you're talking about. Well, so that's another thing that makes things complicated. Traditionally, the word hemp would be used to talk about plants that are suitable for fiber, um, but today, hemp is really legally defined as just any cannabis plants that have below 0.3% THC. If you're in the United hmm. States and Europe, some places it's um, like 0.2% hmm. concentration of THC. So it used to be kind of more about the intended use of the plant. Are you going to use it for fiber to make textiles, that sort of stuff? Then that's hemp. Otherwise it's, you know, quote unquote marijuana. But um, now that's really changed a lot and it's mm. just getting muddier and muddier and it's another reason why i'm just like we should just be calling this plant cannabis the whole hemp and marijuana lingo is kind of falling apart it doesn't mm-hmm. make a whole lot of sense anymore um but yes so cannabis uh, one of the coolest things lately um that i like to share with people is that cannabis uh, may be able to be used as a um an input 
but to make uh, superconductors. What? So, to like conduct electricity? Yeah. Electricity? Yeah, so, so what? Basically, basically, you can take um, the waste from cannabis plants, some of these uh, fibers and everything, and you can um, essentially dissolve basically everything out of the material except for the carbon mm, that's in there okay. and you're left with this little sheet of carbon that's mm. very similar to graphene which mm. is used in a lot of um uh you know superconductors like and silicone and stuff. stuff say that again is it like silicone or no, silicone is different it's just, a, it's just a single layer of carbon, carbon. atoms good dang and and the reason that um, engineers like it is because it um, conducts electricity really, really well, um, and you can. It's really small, flexible, um, so you can put it into different shapes hmm. and you know manipulate in different ways depending on what you're trying to build. What? Well, you can you can take the waste from cannabis farms, and you can actually make these sheets of carbon out of that waste that can then go into batteries and other things um, as a more possibly a more sustainable input mm. uh, because you're basically capturing the waste from one industrial stream mm-hmm. turning it into an input into another which is always you know kind of ideally what you want um, to try to turn waste into new inputs um, so that's really cool but also um, you know cannabis has been used um traditionally for so many things to make clothes and paper rope um and then food as well cannabis seeds are really really nutritious what a lot of uh, essential fatty acids um they have the perfect ratio of omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids um and like seeds from the sack what's that from the sack oh oh i see from like (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. So you should be eating those. (laughs) So don't be mad when you get... (laughs) Yeah, just eat them. Just eat it? Oh, okay, whatever. (laughs) I was like, I was like, no, not the sack, the seed. What? The (laughs) sack? You know, my humor. Um, (laughs) That's really cool, though. Cannabis has spread across the world, maybe, because... um, ancient cultures recognize the nutritional value of seeds they're and they shat them out dense. and so as they travel around eating them they're dropping seeds everywhere and spreading them mm. as well um so yeah cannabis has a lot of purposes it's a very multi-functional plant um and even during world war ii uh, farmers were incentivized to grow cannabis again uh, to make what? more rope and things like that needed for the war. Wow. Um, and then, of course, that light switch gets turned back off once the war is over and mm-hmm. you're ready to go back to prohibition. So, um, it's yeah. so funny. Like, social memory is so, like, frat, like, just um, fleeting, I guess you could say. Yeah. Like, it's... I mean, we're already <laughs> seeing that just with the pandemic stuff. Oh, my uh, God. People right. People seem to not remember the early days and weeks and months and how it was handled and the mm-hmm. narrative is already getting rewritten with all of that it's true yeah um so what exactly is the difference between thc and cbd so um talking about hemp plants so you're 
your medical and recreational cannabis usually is high in THC and THC is going to be that, um, I don't even like this word, but it's the best word I've got, the, the intoxicating component of cannabis. Um, although that presents an, uh, a sense that it's somehow toxic and we'll get into this later, but cannabinoids in general, like THC and CBD are generally pretty non-toxic. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, and then, um, hemp plants that are very low in THC, remember I said that typically they're below 0.3%, uh, in concentration mm-hmm. of THC. So instead of THC, they usually have, um, high levels of this cannabinoid CBD or cannabidiol. Um, and an interesting thing to note is that actually, if we want to be technically correct, the plant doesn't make THC or CBD. It creates, um, THCA and CBDA, which are the acidic forms of cannabinoids. And then when those cannabinoids get heated up, mm-hmm. they, bec- they become THC and CBD, um, which is an important distinction when you start um, looking at like CBD products, particularly, as well as any sort of like infused product, you really mm-hmm. want to understand like what's the form of THC or CBD that's in the product. Is it THCA or THC? Because if you're eating something, um, eating THC versus THCA are going to give you very, very different results. Mm-hmm. THCA is not um, intoxicating like THC is. Um, so like in a so tincture, it, it would be different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So As opposed to burning it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you were to just eat uh, a bag of raw cannabis, uh, I mean, you would feel something because this process so the process of thca becoming thc is called decarboxylation mm-hmm. because what you do when the molecule thca is heated is it ends up breaking off a piece of the molecule that's called a carboxyl group so mm-hmm. it's decarboxylating um but um that i'm trying to remember i just lost my train of thought of where i was going with that so you're um, talking about the chemistry CBD. Yeah, so hemp will primarily give you CBD. Also, these days, you've also got hemp varieties that are high in another cannabinoid called CBG, cannabigerol. Mm. cannabigerol. Um, and a lot of, there are a lot of other chemicals in cannabis that breeders are starting to target mm-hmm. and try to boost the levels in cannabis. So... Um, the cannabis products of the future will, will likely be very different than what we see now. And, you know, you and I both know that the products we see now are very, very different than what existed, you know, 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> what existed is the, the, thing that the question I ask. Oh, my God. So then, um, so CBD, if people to generally use it for, like, um, to chill out or it's not like Xanax, is it? No, um, so CBD, there's, with all of this stuff, there are a lot of unknowns, mm. but, but there's some research that indicates that CBD might, um, help with anxiety, certain types of anxiety. The ma- the most researched form of anxiety, um, that's been looked at <clears throat> with CBD is social anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's several studies with humans um, that show that certain doses of CBD, there's one study that looked at 300 milligrams of CBD 
another one that looked at, um, I think twice that, around 600 milligrams of CBD, but they were able to show that um, CBD was able to lower um, anxiety related to like public speaking. Oh, um, wow. That sort of, that sort of thing. Um, CBD also has certain effects on blood pressure that um, doctors are still trying to understand, but in some people, it seems like it can lower blood pressure. <clears throat> huh. Which may also contribute to kind of an anti anxiety effect. Mm. Um, and then CBD also, in low doses, is stimulating, and mm. in higher doses, is kind of sedating. So some people use CBD as like an energy boost kind of thing, mm. and other mm. people use it to try to sleep. Um, and so dosing is really important there, um, mm. trying to actually know how much you're taking. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why people are using CBD. And then also CBD is generally a, a pretty uh, a pretty decent anti-inflammatory compound. So mm. a lot of people use it for pain and like muscle relief and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, but like I said, there's still a lot of unknowns. Um, there's, not a, there's not a ton of human clinical research that's been done. Oh. There's definitely some you know there's a pharmaceutical product that's a cbd pharmaceutical that got approved a couple years ago called epidiolex Mm -hmm. and so a lot of the research that's talked about around cbd is research for epidiolex Mm. um and it shows interesting things but also you always have to keep in mind that the cbd products that you might buy Mm. um you know anywhere else you know they're not epidiolex so you can't necessarily totally equate you know the research with epidiolex and mm-hmm. your everyday cbd product dang so it sounds super complicated it definitely is a rabbit <laughs> hole when you start diving in definitely sounds like a rabbit hole so um i also wanted to talk about some of the just to talk about i want to talk a little bit about kind of the economics of the cannabis industry and maybe like some ways that it has transformed um transformed different states economies because i mean i live in new orleans you know and i mean you've come here a whole lot like i of the city could definitely i feel like it would benefit so much from a cannabis industry especially given the fact that um like so many people work in tourism and then from a public health perspective i think it would just be better because like all of this like alcoholism it really depresses your immune system or people's immune systems and i think that's apart from the tourism um that's also another reason why um the coronavirus has hit the black community here so hard is because um like alcoholism is like a real um issue you know a real um thing that people deal with here especially where drinking culture you know you can just walk out on the street with the drinking stuff um so yeah what do you like what are some of the benefits um and do you see with like um the cannabis industry and the growth of it yeah i mean you brought up some really good points i mean it's particularly fascinating looking at the south and um sort of the the poor health of most people in the south compared to other places in the country you know the alcoholism is a part of that and also the tendency to eat more um 
fried foods and mm-hmm. you know, all these other things. Also, the South, particularly Louisiana, you know, there's a there is an environmental problem. Um, so there's so much pollution that's happened with the Mississippi River that mm. has affected communities that live along the river, mm. whether in Louisiana or Mississippi, and you know, and then up in Missouri, Arkansas areas, everything. Um, so in general, people in these areas tend to be less healthy and and more at risk uh, when something like this happens. Um, and something that I find fascinating, like in a place like New Orleans, where depending on who you talk to, there's such a strong um, culture for understanding medicinal plants and mm-hmm. um, natural medicine, all these sort of things, you know, but it's uh, very much like a subculture. Yeah. Um, and and I, it, it'd be nice to see that subculture bleed out more into uh, the mainstream culture mm-hmm. um, because they really need to be... Um, possibly more so than most places they really need to be integrating a lot of these um different plants and fungi and other you know natural products to help boost that immune system and mm-hmm. and be more adaptable one of the buzzwords these days in the natural product space are adaptogens these what what's that uh, these compounds that seemingly help the body be more flexible when it's when it experiences stress hmm. so um one of the herbs that um supposedly demonstrates this quality really well is um tulsi basil or holy basil Mm -hmm. familiar with that it makes a really really tasty tea um there's actually there's a lady that i'm going to interview um i think next week but she's a farmer in georgia um she has a farm called green heffa farms but she makes a hemp and Tulsi basil tea, a mm. blend um, that is a really cool idea um, that she did. That's the only product she makes. I recommend people check that out. But wow. um, Tulsi basil has this um, has a lot of different um, chemicals in it that can help, um, yeah, make the immune system a little more flexible, the body mm-hmm. a little more flexible. Um, and more resistant to to stress and, and disease and these sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to your core question, you know, how has cannabis affected the economies of places? You know, it widely depends on how the place in question uh, regulates it. So where I am in Oregon, um, they have a pretty strong tax on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that it was legalized, they had to a- allocate all this tax money to different things like education and healthcare and law enforcement, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I don't, I don't know the exact numbers without looking them up, but the amount of money that the state has made from tax revenue from cannabis has been staggering. Mm. Um, and it's like that in Colorado. Um, it was like that in Washington once they kind of like got their their systems together um and we're seeing all sorts of benefits i mean one thing that i've noticed since i've moved to oregon it's not just because of cannabis but cannabis is definitely contributing is that we have a budget surplus every almost every year what? And so when i when i go to file taxes i actually get money back just because 
the mon- the state has gotten so much tax revenue that they're then redistributing it. To, Dang. To taxpayers. What? What kind of socialist mess is that? <laughs> <laughs> You know, so that's one example of how it can go. But wow, you know, you've also got places like <clears throat> places like um, you know, like Florida that tried to legalize medical and they went way too strict with it. Um, made it very cost prohibitive to even apply to get a permit, um, and that just didn't go over very well. And then they had—I did not know that happened. Yeah, hmm. I mean that was. Oh, when was that? 2015 or so, 2016. I helped, um, I was working with a group that was putting together an application, helping a client in Florida and helped with that. It's the only reason I, I know much about any of that, but, mm-hmm. um, it cost a lot of money to apply. You had to be totally vertically integrated, which meant you had to have a, you know, a cultivation facility, a processing facility, basically a pharmacy you know all these things under Jesus. one roof um and so in a system like that cannabis doesn't return much to the community because mm-hmm. you know it's too hard to to move so if a state wants to benefit from the economics of cannabis they have to be willing to compromise some in regards to how strict they want to be and that's my my concern about some of the southern states is you know like mississippi for instance is voting on medical cannabis uh this year and really yeah there's several proposals (laughs) on the ballot there's one pretty good one that i hope they vote for and pass but then there's several others that have been thrown in there basically to confuse voters (gasps) are you serious Oh, yeah, so that they don't know which one is the initiative that they actually, like, sign their name on to support. What? Yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. Um, that doesn't, but, that, I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, so, you know, I understand that some states are very uncomfortable with the idea of legalizing or decriminalizing cannabis. They're worried about how it's going to affect communities and you know, and all these other things, but if you want to benefit off of the tax revenue, you've got to be lenient enough to encourage people to actually participate in the economy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, so there's that side, you know, and there's another side to the economics bit that um, is worth talking about because it connects to what we we're talking about of sort of like the racist history of cannabis prohibition mm-hmm. you know so in the 30s we had that bit with the promotion of this word marijuana and reefer madness and all that but then you jump ahead to the uh, 70s and you have Richard Nixon declaring the war on drugs and then what happens after that um, you see a highly disproportionate number of people of color getting arrested mm-hmm. under this so called war on drugs all the way up still to this day you know hmm. so for 50 years um this has been going on and really before that um and so you know when you take a step back and you look at what's transpired under cannabis prohibition and then now the, the development of legal cannabis industries and the development of this now really global cannabis economy you see 
that largely people of color have been largely excluded from mm-hmm. that development to the jail. Um, yeah, it's it's really it's it's scary because it's an issue that's not getting talked about a lot, and the industry is developing so fast, and you have a lot of money pouring into the industry to um, get brands developed and kind of secure market share and everything. I, I worry that if we don't bring attention to this issue quickly, um, that one, you're going to have people that are sitting in prison for nonviolent cannabis offenses mm-hmm. in states that have legalized medical or recreational cannabis where people are making money legally, paying taxes, doing the things that put them in jail, mm-hmm. but they're going to be still sitting in jail. Just and, sitting there. Yeah. And then you're also, you know, basically going to be creating this, and it's really already this way. This is very much this whitewashed industry mm-hmm. that then puts up these barriers to um, ensure that, you know, they continue to be the major players mm-hmm. of that market. Um, so. Yeah, I don't know. It's something that I hope that every state that proceeds to decriminalize or legalize cannabis, that they have a serious discussion about what they're going to do about nonviolent cannabis offenders that are in mm-hmm. jail and what they're going to do to try to ensure some more, some better social equity mm-hmm. among the cannabis industry. How do you ensure that the people that have been the most disadvantaged mm-hmm. throughout this whole process, you know, how do you ensure that they actually have a chance to even, uh, you know, come to the table and play, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this, this game that's getting built of the cannabis industry. Um, I don't know. There's a couple groups working on trying to fix it. There's a group called the last prisoner project that's mm-hmm. working to try to, um, get people out of jail, get their records expunged. And if they want, get them a, um, way to get a job in the canvas industry not just as a worker but as an entrepreneur so actually trying to empower these people wow. to run their own businesses not necessarily just work for someone else so um you know i think if anyone listening that's you know interested in i'm sure there are other groups trying to do similar stuff like that so i encourage people to look into that and, where are they based uh, um I'm not 100% sure where the Last Prisoner Project is based. I know a variety of people that work with that group, um, but I'm not, I would assume they're based out of California, but I could uh, be wrong about that. Oh, Denver, Colorado. Oh, Colorado. Okay. Wow, yeah, that's really cool. Spread everywhere, though. Yeah, and I think that's really cool that they expunge the record because, like, I don't think people realize, like, if you have a record then it's like you can't apply for um financial aid to go to school um if if you try to get a job you know it's over um, yeah i mean it, in a way all of this time that the war on drugs has been going on the government's basically been able to silence people from you know the, the democratic process because some, mm. in some instances depending on what you got arrested for you may not even be able to vote Mm-hmm. And then also, yeah, you, you're locked out of the game. You can't get loans. You can't, you know, get accepted into certain uh, work programs. It may be hard to get accepted to even, mm-hmm. like, get an apartment. You know, there's all sorts of oh, for sure. repercussions that come with that, that record. And 
sometimes I feel like our culture has lost a lot of its empathy for fellow human beings mm-hmm. because we tend to, you know, sometimes uh, not really recognize the gravity of that and mm-hmm. the effect that that has on on people's lives. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's not just enough to get people out of jail. You've got to also ensure that once they're out of jail, they actually have a chance at you know building something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, uh, were you gonna say something? Sorry. No, no, go for it. Yeah, I mean, as far as like economic impact, I mean, I'm looking on Google right now. This is from 2015 in the state of Louisiana. It was like sixteen thousand dollars a year to um keep someone in prison. Yeah. And yeah. then we there's like thirty nine thousand prisoners here, so that's like um. That's a lot. That's like over four hundred thousand yeah, dollars. Um, and then I mean, there's other expenses and stuff too. This is just literally a body count, so yeah. it makes way more sense to have someone like. I mean, of course, I'm looking at it from a race. It's terrible. I think prisons are messed up. Period, and we need to find another way that to do things or whatever. But also, just looking at it economically, someone could be like working and kind of like eat like you know can making enough money for themselves and then also contributing to their community and then also i don't like saying contributing to the economy because you know who cares about the economy but also contributing to the economy which like you know keeps businesses going um because there's like enough people in prison it's like a small country at this point Uh, um uh, how many people are in prison like two million I haven't looked at it in a long time, but it's, it's a staggering see. amount of people. 2.3 million people are in prison. Yeah. That's like, that has to be more than people, the amount of people on Barbados Island. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure, yeah. Like, that is a staggering amount of people. And just think, like, if it were on average, let's say, 20,000 to keep, like, a prisoner in every state, which I know is more expensive than others, that's like... $40 million, like, easily, you know? That's, like, a lot. And then we're not even counting the facilities, the oh, employees, yeah. all that kind of stuff. That's, like, a ton of money. So, yeah, yeah. just looking at it from an economic perspective, um, it's just terrible. But it is, like, I mean, Mississippi, um, there's this town, uh, they, it was in the newspaper, they, since one of the prisons closed, that, um, made a lot of people lose their jobs because most of the employees were like police people or people who worked at the prison. So that's kind of how insidious this has become um, to where it's like cities are, well, towns are depending on prisons to -hmm. stay operating. It's like, wow, huh? Well, yeah, our one thing the, uh, the pandemic is really bringing to the forefront are all of the different dependencies that our communities have mm-hmm. um, that don't necessarily sit well. <laughs> yeah. When, when you really think about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So I also wanted to talk about um, maybe do you know any ways that people can get involved in the um, industry? I mean, you have, yeah. like, so many different skills, but how can people kind of put those together and get in the industry? Well, I mean, one thing to think about is that there's a lot more to the industry than just 
cultivating cannabis and making products and selling them, you know, there's all sorts of supporting businesses that are um, tied in with the cannabis industry that uh, utilize people with all sorts of different skill sets. So if you're interested in cannabis and want to work in some way with the cannabis plant, you have a lot of different options. I mean, one is depending on where you are, um, obviously your laws are going to dictate a lot. So if you're in a state that, you know, medical cannabis or recreational cannabis, uh, or some people don't like the term recreational cannabis, adult use cannabis. Mm -hmm. Um, if you, uh, don't have that option, then hemp is, you know, another option for you. And I encourage people to think really, um, creatively in the hemp space because, you know, CBD is all the rage right now. So a lot of people that want to get into farming with cannabis are going into CBD rich, you know, hemp farming and that sort of stuff. But there's all sorts of things you can do with cannabis. There are companies that have, um, gotten FDA approval to sell hemp, uh, leaves as food. Oh, Um, huh. You know, there's also, you know, obviously we talked about earlier how nutritious cannabis seeds are. So that's Mm -hmm. another crop, um, as well as the resin production, you know, the fiber stuff. One thing that's exciting in the hemp space is um, hempcrete. So this is a building material that you can use to make houses and whatever else. And it's basically hemp and lime Hmm. put together with water. Um, And it turns into basically these concrete bricks. What? Made out of hemp. So it's called hempcrete. Huh. Yeah. So um, I think one of the first things I would recommend people do is just take the time to understand all the different ways the cannabis plant is used mm-hmm. and how you want to be associated with the plant. Uh, Cause there's so many different angles to go in. Um, and then from there, um, you know, trying to figure out what your skill set is that you have to offer and how you can leverage that, you know, this just comes into like basic, uh, like, entrepreneurial stuff and and marketing stuff but you know figuring out what your strengths are and leveraging them as best you can and trying to get your foot in the door um in a company that's already operating or you know branching out and trying to start your own company um you know those are both options if you're not the entrepreneurial type then one of the best ways i've found in life in general um to try to get to where i want to be is offering to volunteer for people mm-hmm. that are doing the things that are close to the things that you want to do. And then you can get your foot in the door and make some connections that could possibly lead to, you know, a paid job. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it can be challenging if you have no ties to the cannabis industry at all. Yeah. And you're just trying to jump in. It can be very hard because a lot of success in the cannabis industry is based on relationships mm-hmm. and having a good, network um and so if you don't have a network then you know one of the first steps is building one right one of the best ways to do that is to just offer to help people in exchange for the value of learning Mm -hmm. um and so i think if you can think about it that way that you might not get paid but you're going to be learning a lot and you're starting at you know basically nowhere so Mm -hmm. what do you have to lose kind of thing and then once you have some experience and knowledge then it'll be way easier to, you know, get a job um, mm-hmm. 
somewhere else. You know, so those are some basic things that I would recommend people do. Um, there are a variety of different forums and stuff you can look at to kind of get a sense of the major companies and players that are operating in space. And there's a lot of um, conferences and stuff that who knows when we're going to be able to go to business conferences again. But uh. um, in general, the cannabis industry is full of business conferences and stuff. Some of them are better than others. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just a big ego stroking session. But Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think all conferences can be that way. But it's true. People dressed up really nice, uh, very happy to talk about themselves. Um, but anyway, um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, <just>, so <laughs> not a, not a huge social guy, you know. I um, I mean, you know, I'm introverted. I hate conferences. I'm like. Yeah. Damn it, am I getting a panic attack right now? Whenever I leave exactly. them, I'm like, shit, let me go. Oh, my God. <laughs> I usually dip in for a few hours, and then I've got to, like, go back to my hotel room and just, like, talk to no one. Uh, yeah. Zone yeah. out, look at the but, wall. But if you're if you're an extrovert, um, it's probably easier <laughs> to yeah. can, um, because you can go to conferences and make friends with people and mm-hmm. get all sorts of opportunities. Um, and there are also all sorts of um, industry associations now too, nonprofits that help people. So um, I can't really recommend any of them because I don't know them super well. I don't participate in a lot of these kinds of groups, but um, there are, you know, just cannabis industry. I think there's like a national cannabis industry association group. I think that's what it's called. Um, that can help with some job placement stuff too. Um, and then also if someone knows somebody that is, um, in prison or getting out of prison and wants to get in the cannabis industry, it'd probably be worth reaching out to the last prisoner project Mm -hmm. and, um, seeing if they can help out in that way. Um, getting uh, people connected to the right people that will, um, you know, help them find a good spot. And it also depends on where you're willing to move as well you know true Um, but that being said a lot of people are moving to places like oregon california colorado washington um and places in the northeast now too um and you know places like michigan you know where you've lived before um are becoming kind of cannabis hot spots um but keep an eye out for the places that are sort of on the edge that are about to possibly decriminalize or legalize Mm -hmm. um, because that opportunity of being early into a market and um, you know being able to get that kind of market share is a unique um, opportunity being a pioneer happened it doesn't come back so um, sometimes moving towards where the cannabis industry is hot is not necessarily the smartest move Mm -hmm. uh, maybe where it's lukewarm yeah Hmm. so yeah I mean there's different ways to approach it depending on what someone is after yeah that makes sense um so what kinds of courses are you gonna be teaching oh um well i'm trying to get it all figured out so right before all the coronavirus stuff hit um i work with a nonprofit called the oregon cannabis education resource center and we were going to announce right before all of 
all of this stuff. Um, that way we're going to have a partnership with Southern Oregon University. And um, I was going to be doing a series of seminars and lectures and stuff. Um, and now that's all kind of up in the air because we can't um, have events on campus anymore. So that spurred some thoughts that I, I want to try to do some webinars and online classes. So um, it'll still be a little while before they're available because I've got to finish building them all. But um, there will basically be two options for people, sort of these self-guided online classes mm-hmm. um, that will consist of videos and um you know, interactive, like multimedia presentations and stuff. And then there'll also be an option to do a workshop with me online as Mm -hmm. well. So I used to teach these uh, multi-week cannabis uh, science workshops. I did them for several years in a row. And I'm basically going to do those again, but just in a digital format. So Mm -hmm. people will be able to chat with me and chat with other students in the class. Uh, there will be like projects um, where students will take a, a topic around cannabis that they're personally interested in and they'll be working on uh, kind of like a, a research and presentation project. Wow, like a capstone. Throughout the series. Yeah, yeah, kind of like a capstone sort of. Wow, thing. that's the so way, cool. The way I structured it is very much like a college kind of survey class. Yeah, that's really cool yeah. and really practical. Yeah, 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 and it, it just allows people, you know, the self-guided stuff is cool, but the, the whole point of the workshop is let's take what you're interested in and really develop that, help you find research and stuff that will give you a better understanding of whatever that is that you're passionate about, and then how can you sort of master some aspects of that so that you can teach other people Mm -hmm. about this thing that you're passionate about so that collectively the whole class gets exposed to everyone's passions and learns from each other as Mm -hmm. well as the content you know that i'm getting them to focus on too to make sure they have a good basic foundation Mm -hmm. yeah so any of the msf fam that is into cannabis because i know a lot of y'all are period yeah Black, POC, LGBTQ people need to be out here. So, and definitely whenever you do come out with it, of course I'm going to post it and stuff like that. But yeah, I do think this is very important work. And also, like, this is about, for me, also just breaking these, like, intergenerational um, patterns and then also healing a lot of intergenerational wounds um, just around this, like, controversial plant. Like, you're very right. It's like, it's such a like benign plant, but then there's been so much controversy around it. Like literally most people, I mean, people get paranoid sometimes and stuff too, but most people consume it, you know, medically and then you chill out and then watch some TV and eat some food. Um, whereas like, you know, you get drunk, people out here beating the shit out of each other, driving, wrecking the car. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's weird that even now with, you know, something I've brought up before on some of the episodes of the Curious About Cannabis podcast, something that doesn't make sense to me is how we can understand the safety profile of cannabis so well and yet still come up 
with every reason why we have to limit people's mm-hmm. access to it. Power. Um, That's what's wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really weird when you when you look into it and the tendency by those that are very um, anti cannabis is they'll they'll focus on any sort of little nuance of how cannabis could be harmful and point to that being reason for continuing to hold off on allowing people to have access to it um but you know there's a certain point where you have to step back and say well nothing is completely safe there are Mm -hmm. there are safety issues with literally everything that you can consume including water Mm -hmm. and yes there are some particular nuances with cannabis that we do need to understand better particularly you know we don't understand very well how cannabis affects kids mm-hmm. um, a lot of the research that's been done is it has all these confounding variables and mm. things that aren't well accounted for so it's hard to interpret the data um so we need to understand that better um and we know that cannabis can change the structure of the brain over time mm-hmm. now whether those changes are good or bad you know that's hard to interpret um or are they neutral do they matter at all um so you know there's different things risks that we need to understand but taking us a step further back of how do those risks compare to other risks that we already manage and accept, you know, that's with pharmaceuticals, where... are you talking about those? Say it again. <laughs> with pharmaceuticals, the risks that are involved in those compared yeah, right. to, I mean, and not even just that, just like driving or oh yeah, you know, there's all sorts of different things that we we manage risks for. True. You know, oh yeah, that are potentially more dangerous. Um, so I don't know, that's, that's where it gets hard for me to really understand, you know, I understand limiting access for, you know, kids, obviously. Um, Yeah. But yeah, after that, you know, when people ask, you know, what's the, the best age to, you know, to wait until you start using cannabis, a lot of the research indicates like somewhere between like. 22 and 25 years old is Mm. ideal ideally that's how long people should wait um but even then most people don't and i know a lot of people (laughs) that have been using cannabis since they were like 15 yeah you know college is usually the first time for most people well people who if you went to college but yeah and then some people it's younger yeah, and, you know, I, I've i noticed some issues with some people that use cannabis a lot, where it's like, yeah, it might be, you know... 15 is super young. some problems for you, but for a lot of people, it's just, it's more like coffee than it is anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and I think that's another it. thing, like, that we need to kind of, like, another myth that we need to dispel is, like, that people who consume cannabis aren't productive, because... I've, like, known literal workaholics who consume cannabis, like, all the time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a a huge one. I mean, it's the stigma piece that we talked a little bit about. Um, I mean, Freud was a cokehead. 
but I'm not yeah. definitely I'm not I'm not excusing coke. But just like just right. give it. But I mean, seriously, with cannabis, you have people that are extremely productive that um, use cannabis quite a lot, and like even with myself, it's taken me so long to get to the point that I'm comfortable talking about my own cannabis use um, because I've battled with this issue in my head of like, well, are people not going to take me seriously as a scientist if I mm-hmm. talk about using cannabis or, you know, what box am I going to be put in now? You mm. know, once people hear me talk about that versus whatever box I was in before then. Um, but then after a certain point, you kind of just have to, um, not worry so much about mm-hmm. what boxes other people are putting you in. I mean, it, even in the past forward. 10 years, it's changed so much. Like from the time that we were in college, to now it's like it's so different even just as far as like people's thinking about it like the presence of cannabis use in the in tv shows and the media like the way the news talks about it um like information about it is just like more widely spread yeah i mean the the kids that grow up today you know that are like 16 17 right now mm-hmm. they'll have no idea what things were like that we experienced <laughs> even in Mississippi. Oh Mississippi, God! You know it's different. Um, <laughs> oh my God! College. We, we might have been one of the last generations to really experience, you know, that in, intensity of of the drug war. That like was because whenever we were in college, they were. Um, I didn't know this, but I think maybe it was like towards the end of our time there. But they were, the police were doing a lot of, um, like, undercover stuff and, like, yeah. recruiting and stuff like that. Did you ever hear about that when you were in college? Yeah, I heard a little bit about it, some of the undercover stuff. And, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, we, we grew up in a world, and, you know, you and I relate to it differently because we have all, you know, different backgrounds but overlapping. But mm-hmm. we've grown up in an environment that has hunted us for you know years yeah uh, you know <laughs> it's, it, it's weird you know it's like for me i got hit with it because of cannabis and having long hair and growing up you know hippie in, uh, you know this super you know conservative area and everything um but i won't pretend to you know, understand what the experience of a black person is like mm-hmm. that from day one, just by the color of your skin, mm-hmm. you can't even control, you know, at least yeah. like with my hair length, like I could cut it short if I really like wanted mm-hmm. to and then people stop hassling me or something. But like, you don't have but that. But period. Yeah. And it's funny cause like, even like, um, cause I had like a lot of different kinds of friends and stuff, but one day when we were in college, um, no, well, I, I'm not going to use any names, but they are, I was hanging out. <laughs> well, I think she works in cannabis too, but I was at this house and, um, I was hanging out. It was like all white people at this party or whatever. And, uh, we were outside like consuming cannabis and the police saw us and like, you know, I'm like super intuitive. Like I, like, I felt something, and then I saw a flashlight, and so I didn't say shit. I just ran inside, because I was like, these white people are going to be okay. Turns out, it was totally cool. He was just like, yeah, break the bong. All right, y'all have a good night. Oh, that's it. 
very but unequal, it's, but it's, um, it's very obvious the discrepancy. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I legitimately think that the only reason that I haven't gone to jail yet is because I'm white. Oh you know? like yeah, I've of had, course. I've had two major run-ins with the police in Mississippi, and I think the only oh in Mississippi, you know, the only reason I made it through those um, with you know basically nothing happening was because. Period. You would have been locked all the way up, yeah. key thrown out, no lawyer, nothing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah nothing. I mean, you know, it's like I'm I'm chuckling about it, but I'm chuckling about the absurdity of it. It's yeah. so absurd. You know, that's yeah. why my ass had to get the fuck out. Period. Yeah. But I will say, thankfully, um, like New Orleans is a southern city where it's like not legal, but it's like decriminalized. Yeah. So, um, like, people really don't care here. Generally, it's pretty chill here or whatever. But, um, yeah, well. Louisiana's well, been working on a medical program and stuff. I mean, they've been slowly changing. Yeah, we have some CBD shops here and stuff like that. Um, and, yeah, I think I think it would definitely be really amazing if they did. Because, I mean, New Orleans has such, like you said, mentioned earlier, it has such a, like, interesting history with um cannabis and jazz music uh, there's this netflix um documentary i don't know if you've seen it but it's on new orleans um like black musicians and cannabis and like they were growing weed here like and they were talking about how like they would just have these jam sessions where they would just be smoking and like the weed would, like or i hate saying weed but the cannabis would like help them be inspired and they created some of the biggest like jazz hits that like you know are the, are the foundation of all cult all music in the United States basically, so it's like it's and there's a really interesting relationship between like New Orleanians like Black Southerners with um the cannabis and creativity and music. I mean you're a musician so you know, mm-hmm. but um, yeah absolutely yeah. and I I'd, I'd love to see one day, you know us be able to embrace all of that culture and Mm -hmm. celebrate it and recognize that like different places in the country have different relationships with cannabis and Mm -hmm. the south you know with us being from the south there is a really cool culture to embrace and identify with there you know when it comes to to cannabis um as something i mentioned in an interview i had um a few weeks ago is how interesting it would be to you know, see cannabis museums. I mean, there's a couple that have like temporary. Ones oh my stuff. god! But can you imagine what? the South a museum or something that has oh, a with a, a cafe a display? <laughs> yeah, with a cafe that's that's displaying like all of this history, talking about all these jazz musicians. And oh all these my god! You know, artists and different people that have contributed. I mean, literally, like so much of basically all of rock and roll stole. From, Stole, um, yes, like blues and jazz musicians. Exactly, I mean, like, <laughs> from the Mississippi Delta, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, so the I mean, whole you know, foundation, that, like, it's so cool and fascinating, and like, yeah, we ought to not have to like hide that in the shadows. It's, mm-hmm. it's something um, worth talking about and exploring. And, so I don't know, but it seems like things are getting better. Like I said um, earlier, even in Mississippi, things are changing, and I've noticed the public attitude about cannabis has really come a long way. Mm-hmm. And um, 
so I'm cautiously optimistic about how things will um, develop out there. And, you know, now in my mind, like, Oregon is about to vote on decriminalizing psilocybin mushrooms. Oh, so, my like, God. Wow. They're, That's they're some 2020 shit for real. Now. Yes. Yeah. That is so amazing. And they want to do it in a pretty legitimate way. Like, they want to um, decriminalize it and then allow medical use with, um, like, guided treatment centers, basically. Wow. Dang. That's really yeah. cool. Huh. So we'll start to see more of that across the country, too. Um, it seems to follow on the heels of cannabis. You know, once a place has loosened up on cannabis, then there seems to be a push for other entheogens after that, mm-hmm. with usually psilocybin mushrooms being the first one. Because it's really hard to argue for the, you know, criminalization of psilocybin mushrooms when they grow everywhere and, you know... <sighs> <laughs> the way cannabis could if they didn't regulate it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, cannabis, <laughs> going back to the history, it's one of these weird crops where we, like, literally tried to eradicate it off of the face of our country. Um, but it's still here. Of, like, finding fields and torching them and stuff. Yeah. And it still persists. It's still there. And I really feel like our generation is different because, like, Reagan happened. Like, I think, mm-hmm. like... I feel like sometimes, like, I mean, Trump is kind of like a, a a terrible version of Reagan in the 2000s in some ways. By, like, what he represents, but it's kind of a very failed version because yeah, the whole yeah. country has failed. And the institution, it's a failed project, period. But I yeah. think a lot of, like, especially, um, like, people in the older generation, or not the other, older generation, who were our age in the 80s, I think the war on drugs propaganda, it was like the first time it happened, you know, so it was easier for them to kind of um, internalize the stigma and then, you know, associate, you know, pot or pot with cannabis use with, like, being unprofessional and having a bad job. But our generation is like, child, we got all these student loans. We can't. It's too expensive to live. We need at least a few vices, like, I don't even like to call it a vice, but I think our generation just views it differently. Just the same way that we, like, I think a lot of our generation is interested in spirituality and, like, science and just all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, and this is all a part of, like, you know, I'm into astrology. Like, it's all a part of, like, the age of Aquarius, like, moving out of, um, yeah, moving into the age of Aquarius out of, um, from the there's age of huge, Pisces to the age of Aquarius. There's a huge shift definitely happening as far as like, yeah, I mean, our generation is growing up sort of like accepting this fate of like, you know, we don't have much we can depend on. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have to be self-reliant, not with just ourselves, but within our communities. Mm-hmm. And like the concept of community is just becoming more and more important. Um, yeah. It's not just you living in your house, paying bills. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I think, you know, once again, with everything going on with the pandemic, it's an interesting opportunity to really reflect on that, on mm-hmm. um, how disconnected some of us have become from our communities. Mm-hmm. And how, I mean, 
I don't know about you, but the pandemic reminds me in some ways of Hurricane Katrina as far as some Mm -hmm. of the social things that came about during that period of time right after the hurricane hit Mm -hmm. up until um, when places started having power and everything. But I know like where I live, we didn't have power for like a week and my grandparents were living with us um, and it became the situation where you know um, you got disconnected and you're staying at home all the time so Mm -hmm. you start checking in on your neighbors that you don't talk to very much you start Mm -hmm. checking in with family members you know that you don't necessarily start you know just because you're caught up in your day-to-day grind you don't talk to very much and you start to reconnect you know that Mm -hmm. community and I think that our society our culture is set up in such a way to isolate people and yeah you know separated and to feel alienated and to get them identified with some camp that mm-hmm. is against another camp you know yeah so that there can always be this conflict between people and everyone feels disconnected and mm-hmm. um we have a real opportunity to think critically about that problem and to make moves that to, is so uh, deep too as far as like the camps because that like that's across like race like in the black yes. community you know gay people straight people trans people like mm-hmm. um class socioeconomic status yeah. all that wherever wherever there is any sort of unity there will be efforts to divide because mm-hmm. i mean it's that's how you maintain power over people and how you remove that's how you get people to voluntarily give up their own power mm-hmm. is, is by giving into that division and embracing that camp mm-hmm. rather than recognizing that you're part of something bigger than that camp mm-hmm. um, and so I don't know I it's something that um, my wife and I have been talking about a lot that it'd be nice to hear people talk about the great opportunity that this pandemic has given us to rethink how we as humans organize ourselves. Exactly. Cause I think I feel like one of the, I am one of the reasons I'm here for um, people who are able to like consume psychoactive substances is cause it's like a method of deprogramming. And I think a lot of people are going through kind of like, deprogramming right now as far as being like I really don't want to go back and have to like break my back to make mm-hmm. not even enough money to pay my bills when I make enough money on unemployment or like you know I don't want to go back in these situations where I yeah and a lot of people you know aren't going to want to have to like go back and be in certain kind of like toxic work environments and stuff like that I feel fortunate like to live uh, to work in an environment that's pretty like um pretty social and pretty like you know uplifting and stuff like that and i like my coworkers and stuff like that so that's been a blessing with um remote working and stuff like that but a lot of people you know don't want to go back to the ways that they were living before and then also people figuring out like that the government has all this money <laughs> to um you know <laughs> it's like oh so y'all Y'all had it like this. Like, wait. Yeah, it's like, wait. Every company goes bankrupt if we stop doing things for three months. Like, oh, okay. Doesn't actually have any stockpiles or anything. They make more money. 
Like, oh, wow. Hmm. Okay. So, all right. So, I think a lot of people are like just, like, peeping what is going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I mean, uh, so, as an entrepreneur, something that I've been thinking about a lot um, is that people need to really start thinking about themselves as companies and brands. So, like, in situations like it's, it's sort of just part of this economic game that we're, we find ourselves in. But you have a situation like this pandemic hits, we're going to do stimulus relief for people. You know, they throw you a, a couple of, you know, some, some chump change your way to make you feel like, you know, they're taking care of you. Meanwhile, they're sending, you know, billions upon billions of dollars to, um, all sorts of different companies um, for quote unquote small business relief, mm-hmm. but the but the companies that are most likely to get the money are the ones that um, they tend to be bigger companies that are able to sort of like disguise themselves as smaller companies legally, uh, so that they get access to this money, and they've already got the ear of politicians, and they've already like got these really good relationships with banks. And so they're just siphoning off all of this money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important for people to realize that um, in situations like that, sometimes um, anybody can sort of take advantage of that system and make it work for them a little better. And in this last round, what was really unique about the stimulus money that came through is that it applied to self-employed and um, independent contractors. So. Mm-hmm anybody can be self-employed a lot of people have side hustles and things like that and um one thing i hope that all of this helps teach people is that if you can just start to document your side hustles a little better and start to think a little more about how you can use the way you're using your energy to benefit you in other ways like you know all of how my company came about was because of all sorts of stuff I was just doing for fun mm-hmm. that I realized I could make a little bit of money on. I started documenting it. Then I finally filed a business name and then you jump ahead a couple of years and all of a sudden I've got a small business that can apply for these grants that the government's giving out, um, you know, to help people out while I'm still, you know, trying to do other types of work and stuff. So, um, you know, my main point is there's all sorts of grants, forgivable loans and stuff that are coming out that um, if people can, um, you know, think about how they organize themselves, they might be able to apply for it and not even realize it mm-hmm. um, because they don't think of themselves as a business. But everyone is self-employed, technically. You just People listening out there. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to, you know, think about how to present it on paper and think about how you come across on your tax returns Mm -hmm. and it's you know it's about learning the game you have to finesse it a certain way yeah that's what we say yeah (laughs) yeah you know it's it's all part of this weird thing you know like i said the strange ways that humans have chosen to organize themselves there are definitely better ways we could go about things Um, until then i think it's important for people to really understand what games they're a part of whether they chose Hmm. to play them or not Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out how to make them work to their, you know, to their advantage. That's some red pill, blue pill language. <laughs> <laughs> I also binge watched like all three Matrix um films like last weekend. 
boy. And yeah. I, it was, you know, because they're like two hours each. So yeah. I literally spent <laughs> about seven hours, you know, I would take a little yeah. break between movies and stuff. But I was like in it. Yeah. And, you know, already know the parallels. Just, you know, I was like, well. It's, it's really crazy. <laughs> and, like, the whole idea of, like, like using the human bodies to suck resources and energy yeah. out to feed this system. To feed the machine. Right. Yeah. That then, like, it's, you know, self-perpetuating. And, yeah, you take a step back and you're like, oh, yeah, that's pretty much what most people, that's, that's the life that most people have. Yeah. Uh, uh, artificial existence based on, you know, misguided perceptions and stuff mm-hmm. while they're being taken advantage of. and um, The social yeah. media. Because yeah. it's like, it's yeah. just really interesting because I feel like these days, like, energy is being transformed into, like, it's like being transformed into, like, attention. So it's like all yeah. this attention. But I feel like sometimes, I, I mean, I love social media and I love Instagram and stuff like that, but I do sometimes feel like it's a vortex because it's like the more you do it, the more Instagram makes more money, the more these like mega corporations make money, but also it gives you this sense that you're like sifting through all this like endless information, you know, or like endless posts. It's like, oh my God. And it's a vortex that just keeps sucking all your attention away and like, and that's energy. Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's that's one reason why I think you kind of have to treat social media like a drug in that, mm-hmm. you know, it's good to have abstinence breaks. It's good yes. To, you know, disconnect and reassess your relationship. I go through periods of time all the time where I'll either shut down my social media accounts or just stop, like take the app off my phone or something so that I don't see it for a while mm-hmm. and just to recalibrate because yeah i get sucked into the vortex as much as anyone else yeah um you know and yeah it, it never ends and and it, it's also a false reality you know we look at stuff on instagram and twitter and facebook and we think that that's the world and that it's representative of how most people think and um and it's not it's you know? a screen and, and a lot of it is part of this divide sort of um, system that we have going on that you know YouTube is a great example so you log into YouTube and YouTube is the second most popular search engine in the world what if you didn't know that wow so keep that in mind so people are going on YouTube searching for videos about whatever and if they're logged in then over time youtube is figuring out how to cater content to engage that person more um that content isn't necessarily high quality content or content that's going to expand their perspective of the world Mm -hmm. or help them learn anything new it's just content that is most likely to get them to click on it and watch it you know Mm -hmm. that sort of thing so then you end up with this extreme echo chamber effect uh where you're living in this this silo Echo chamber is perfect. That's the part. Echo chamber is like very apt for like describing this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you don't even think about it. You're just like, Oh yeah, I'm seeing different perspectives and I'm, you know, getting exposed to so much content. I was like, well, yeah. in a sea of like billions of billions of information, like, yeah, you think you're seeing a lot. You're seeing a speck in the ocean. Mm hmm. But, um, so 
another piece of advice for people, you know, now we're just getting onto the Matrix stuff. Uh, yes! <laughs> it's, it's good to, if you go on YouTube, you search engines or whatever, like, you can, for most browsers, you can put them in, like, incognito mode or private mode or whatever. And if you do that, you can uh, use these search engines where they're not um, using your cookies and stuff so they don't remember you. So then you get a slightly better exposure to information. Mm. Sort of gets you out of that echo chamber a little bit, but that makes total um, sense. Yeah. So, but it's just stuff to be aware of. Like, where's your information coming from, and how's it being fed to you, and um, and how's it affecting you? I'm telling people we are living in the viral age, literally. Yeah. Like this. We are living in an age where we're going to have to deal with viruses, but also information is a virus. And I feel like a lot of times, like, viral, you know, viral memes, like, social media goes viral. I think it's just, like, a very interesting metaphor or, like, you know, to describe it, but it's kind of very true. And I do think, like, sometimes the screens, screens especially, are different ways to, like, that you get infected with viruses that kind of suck your attention away. Oh, and energy yeah mind, mind viruses yeah that um infect your brain and and even just um different sorts of conditioning and and everything it's it's true and i think the goal is not necessarily to shun it all because there are people especially out here in oregon there are people that totally disconnect from society as a way of dealing with this problem that go and and set up their homestead somewhere and live on the mountain and don't come down. Dang. But um, if you're not going to do that, you know, then the strategy is to understand how this stuff works and how your attention's being used and try to start to live more mindfully of what's grabbing your attention and what mm-hmm. what you're giving your power up for and to, you know? So, like... Mm-hmm. Anytime you're giving, I always say that time and energy are my most precious resources. You know, mm. and that time I can never get back, and and energy is related to time, and that I only want to put energy into things that I think are worth my time mm-hmm. because my time is limited and highly valuable. And I think everybody should think that way. And in thinking that way, what grabs your attention is stealing your time and stealing your energy, mm-hmm. and so. You know, thinking about your time and energy as currency that you're spending and you're giving to someone else and that they're using and profiting from. Literally currency. Yeah. Selling your data. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, literally. Yeah, I mean, it's gotten to the point now where, you know, your data is supposed to be sort of anonymous when it's sold and everything, but the levels of data are so complex that... Oh, did you see that? Um, <laughs> Let's go in the rabbit hole. I saw that our, saw that our government uh, passed some legislation recently that allows uh, law enforcement to get your web browser history without a warrant. Are you serious? That passed like a day or two ago, I think. Oh my god. I knew there was some shit happening with this quarantine mess. So, so some other... What? Are know, you serious? Start using... Start using Tor browsers because that will uh, 
that will protect your uh, browser history and everything from being found. You out can fabricate all kinds of mess from a web browser. A web browsing history, you can like come up with all kinds of stories. Yeah, right. There's all sorts of narratives you could build on somebody based on wow. what the browser history is, and and things you could theorize that they are planning to do or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so, yeah, we Dang. gotta be careful about how we use the internet and what information we're giving up, what we're giving our attention to, um, as a way of getting control over our lives again really i mean i think mm-hmm. that very few of us acknowledge just how on autopilot we are mm-hmm. you know like so and it, once again i'm as guilty as anyone else i slip into these periods of going on autopilot going just through the motions of whatever's happening and then you sort of have these moments of like waking up like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah like, like, there's a better way I could be doing things here and this is actually kind of a big deal I need to get control over this and, true you know, make some improvements and then you slip into autopilot again for a while and, and you're a new dad so autopilot needs to be over for you yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. You just got so tired. You're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I love waking up at 4 and 5 a.m. Yeah, <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, um, thank you so much for coming and being on the show. Yeah, totally. It's been fun. I know we deviated quite a bit from Kansas No, this is the all in, in the plan for the yeah. podcast. Totally. Yes. Thank you. I really, really enjoyed it. I hope your listeners, um, you know, got something out of it. And if they want to find me and some of the work that I do, um, the website for the podcast is cacpodcast.com. So, like, curious about cannabis podcast, CAC podcast. Um, And then me personally, um, 